You're listening to episode 41 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. I have something incredibly urgent to address. I have it on great authority that one of the five Comics Pals is in fact a scroll. What? It's me. One of us is a scroll. It's me. <laughs> Marco's trying to deflect. I don't think it's Marco. Damn. What? Why would he want why to Why would be he a admit scroll? it? Marco, why would you admit it? To deflect. He <laughs> oh, didn't think that one through. So or maybe it's just because mind, Marco trusts us and we're not racists here on this podcast, so it's fine if he's a scroll. <laughs> as long as he admits it. It could be Pete because Pete is conveniently getting secret invasion and secret uh, wars confused every week. <laughs> Pete's hair also changes color every week. Well, yeah, that's a good point. You guys put me on blast here, all right? <laughs> It could be Sean. He's the one you'd least expect, and also the most knowledgeable of the scroll. If Sean was a scroll, he would be able to. He would probably be the one that would be able to like get away with being a scroll for the longest. If I had to guess. Oh, thanks. <laughs> could be Kale, who's already grumpy, conveniently not on <laughs> this episode when I bring up this incredible news. Or, exactly. guys, it could be Phil. Whoa! Hey! Whoa! <laughs> The one who, you know what they always say, the one who smelt it Delta, true. right? Whoa. That's true. You've seen or a also, smell? Who knows? Remember? Guys, <laughs> yeah. do we not remember when Phil was captured by the Russian hand? What if Phil never came back? What if he's been a scroll oh. this whole time? He was replaced. Well, it could be Marco. You know, he comes up with these excuses when he's not here. Like, hey, I have to <laughs> girlfriend. What kind of euphemism is that? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I have a strong suspicion that that is getting edited out <laughs> Marco leave it in apparently six or eight months ago a scroll ship landed in the tri-state area somewhere between Pennsylvania, New Jersey and New York and a lot of people went in and a lot of people came out a lot different wow that would explain a lot about you well hey hey <laughs> whoa Sean that's an awfully scroll thing to say Trying to put suspicion off of yourself. Yeah. He's not bulging. Look at him. <laughs> <laughs> He's stone-faced. I think this is one stoic scroll. That's uh, that's one way to open the show. Uh, and uh, just so we're clear, my vote is that Phil's a scroll. Just so we... Whoa. Should we well, vote? I vote that it's Phil. Yeah, I think it's Phil, too. Whoa, 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 whoa. So because you were voted out, that means you die. Uh, scrolls are not welcome here. Goodbye. <laughs> Sean just led a witch hunt against me. What a scroll thing to do. <laughs> oh, no. I changed my vote. It's Pete. Oh! <laughs> Whoa! You know what, Marco? I said that if you were a scroll, that it would be okay. <laughs> I'm, not say, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying it's Pete. <laughs> <laughs> I think the scrolls are definitely staging a coup on all of our earthly governments to take it over. Are you sure you're not confusing that with uh, Secret Wars, by chance? <laughs> are you asking me, or are you asking Pete? I don't know anymore. Uh, anyway, uh, if you guys want to let us know who you think is a scroll on the show, uh, you can reach out to us in a variety of ways. You can reach out to us on iTunes, where we are a five-star rated podcast, and all other um, podcast hosting platforms, you can reach out to us on there. Also, uh, social media. We are at the Comics Pals wherever social media is sold. Check us out on there. If you haven't given us a follow yet, you know, come on. What are you doing? Um, 
You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com, where we will accept any matter of material. If you want to send us a random question of the week, if you want to send us your artwork of us as scrolls, that would be really, really cool. And last but not least, if you are listening to this on YouTube, definitely hit that subscribe button. Leave us a like, leave us a comment, uh, and share the video. Definitely hit us with a share. Let your friends know that we exist and that you like what we do. And if you're not listening to this on YouTube, go to YouTube and leave us a subscribe anyway because there's stuff coming really soon that you're going to love and you should check out. There's a lot of exclusive stuff on there. So uh, I want to jump right into it because I want, I'm excited to play a game with you guys. Uh, follow me here. So we're going to do... I, I have a question for you guys first. Okay. Oh, oh, so I guess that means it's time for the random question of the week. There you My go. My voice is so fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> I can't hit that huh. like third note. Normally Pete could hit that note. <laughs> Suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> um, if I was a scroll, wouldn't I be able to do it better? No. Not necessarily. No. I guess we don't really know what Skrull's like vocal capabilities are. How good is a Skrull vocalist? You might know. <laughs> so might Marco. <gasps> <laughs> so the question is what is your favorite superhero team? Ooh. Justice League Dark. Okay. That's a solid cool. choice. Yeah. That that's a very Marco pick. Why? Um, yeah, why could you possibly like that team? <clears throat> the characters are very... They they argue with each other a lot. They're very... Uh, even though they're sort of like a, a team, each one has like super strong opinions that want to guide what, um, the larger group to like some sort of solution. Um, but they all ultimately fall under like Constantine's tricks or whatever. So I don't know. It's it's an interesting dynamic, and the the lead is always usually Constantine or Zatanna, and they're just characters I really like. I think you picked them because they're all on a first name basis with Swamp Thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I mean, he, he he's not a fan of being on the the team. So I I like it when he's uh when he's on the team. It, it's all right. It's pretty cool. Just because he doesn't like want to be on it. They have him on speed dial. <laughs> they do. Well, he, he just gets summoned, and then he's like, hey, why'd you summon me here? And it's like, because I need you for stuff. He's like, I don't like you, Constantine. He's like, well, it's tough. <laughs> Great dialogue. <laughs> I'm, if, I'm if, pretty sure that happened. If Marco's a scroll, he's got Marco down. That's what we'll call homework. <laughs> uh, all right, so for me, it's Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Aww, I like that pull. <laughs> no, I'm, for me, it feels like a cop-out answer, but the X-Men. You know, like which one though? Like which team? Yeah. No, that's okay. No, yeah, I, I yeah, I like I, I the reason I, it's them is like them as an organization is just like I like that the X Men feel like a family, you know, and like that to me is always like we did our whole X Men special, right? And I think the thing that makes the X Men so universal is just that feeling of like wanting to belong to something, um, and like be a part of something that's like bigger and greater than yourself, and I think that's like. I don't know. It speaks to me. And it's like I've always been a big X-Men fan. So that's like immediately where my mind went, even though it feels like a little bit cheating. But uh, I mean, that's why they're the best. Um, for me, I'm stuck between several. 
I was thinking Excalibur at one point. See, like that's yeah, like that's a great fucking team. That's probably the one I would pick if you forced me. I was thinking JLI, which I really am bi- very fond of the JLI team. I was thinking of the Abnet and um, Lanning Guardians of the Galaxy team, the 2008 run. Uh, I was thinking of the Doom Patrol, mm. but I have to go with the cop out answer because this is the team that's definitely the closest to my heart. I got to go with the Core Seven Justice League. Okay. Okay. Why? Um, I grew up with the Justice League cartoon. That was my uh, that was really my exposure to the DC universe, and um, whenever those guys culminate, it's always a big deal. I think of the Morrison run. I even think of the Jeff Johns run. Even like um, uh, the what's his name, Meltzer, Brad Meltzer run. Like, I gotta gotta go with the core Justice League crew. So. The original seven, the big seven. And for me, I will go with the Avengers, probably to the surprise of no one. Uh, if you asked me this, you know, 20 years ago or whatever, I'd have said the X-Men easy. But uh, I feel like I've matured with the Avengers. I've watched them go through absolute hell um, in the Marvel Universe. They, they kind of had usurped the X-Men as the dominant team in Marvel by the time I started actively reading. And uh, I'm just I'm in love with those characters, um, the stories that they that they're able to tell with them uh, are very relatable to what's going on in the real world, and they have been since I started reading Civil War, for example. I don't know, I just I just love a lot of those characters, and some of my favorite runs in comics have been on the Avengers. So that's that's my answer. But now that was that was part one. Whoa, because whoa, now because phase <laughs> yeah. two. Yes, because now we're going to have a great debate. And so all of you are going to represent the teams that you chose. But this is a two-parter. Yeah, but you're telling me why the team you chose is the worst superhero. (laughs) Oh, okay. All right, can I go first? Because I'm ready. That was good. So 30 seconds, I'm assuming? 30 seconds. So we're we're fighting for why ours is the worst, right? Yeah. Okay, all right. Pete, you want to start? Yeah, I'll start. All right, go now. Where do I begin? We have a, 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 a lone man, a lone civilian who has psychic powers, fucking indoctrinating children and militarizing them to fucking fight his grudges with a Holocaust survivor. Jesus Christ. How, what, that's all I should need to say. There's children as young as 12 years old being out there in the battlefield fighting 50, 60-year-old men. It's a problem. It's dangerous. It's unsafe. It's Cut. un-American. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Who's up next? All right. I'll go. I got Start. it. Start. All right. <clears throat> so when you have the seven biggest personalities in one room... Granted, they can save the world from the greatest threats to the cosmos, but the thing is, they're still the seven biggest personalities in the room. They can't stay together, and they constantly split up, and there's always different Justice Leagues being formed, and they like working alone more so than they like working in a team. How functional is that? Granted, they get it done when the, when the chips are down, but they can't be there all the time because they can't always get along. Stop. Okay. And Marco? Swamp Thing's on my team. I rest my case. <laughs> That makes them the worst? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, Marco is a scrawl. You have 20 seconds, you don't want it? <laughs> no. 
<laughs> All right. I mean? He doesn't want his time. Um. So now we've got the rebuttal period. So first of all, how many times has Swamp Thing saved the world? Okay, and you're going to say that the team Once. is lesser for him being on it? Insane. All right? And Phil, Phil, you're going to say that the Justice League, regardless regardless of the, the problems that the teams may have, they've saved the world countless and countless times. And while, while the X-Men have done so as well, that does not justify the militarization of minors, of children, <laughs> of schoolboys and girls. Time. <laughs> Pete, you sound like you should be like at a corrupt church. <laughs> Phil? Pete, the one thing that you said that's abundantly clear is that both the X-Men and the Justice League have saved the world countless times over. So what's the difference between these two? The X-Men function as a family, where the Justice League is a pantheon. They're all ardent individuals, and they can't always get along. Now, Marco, Justice League Dark saves the world from things the X-Men and the Justice League can never fathom. They save it from the supernatural, from the magic, and from the wicked without the justice league dark even though they're all individuals they save the world from the strangest fucking shit imaginable and we need them and we are indebted to them in ways that we can't even comprehend time marco the uh justice league dark fight made up supervillains essentially the 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 nightmares and they're whatever they're up. they're 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 all they're <laughs> they're all made up so sorry sorry there <laughs> phil that that doesn't hold water and uh the x-men are iconic due to their status as uh whoop don't know where i was going with that one um <laughs> pete, <laughs> pete the 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 justice league is super uh, I, I can't i can't do the superhero stuff <laughs> i don't know what to say I let you go over time because it's so funny. Oh my god. Mark, you'd be a great lawyer. <laughs> I don't know where the case leads. It's like, uh, oh my god. Okay, so Pete. I just, I just see Mark go to courtroom just like shuffling papers. I was like, I don't know where I was going with that. Sorry. <laughs> he opens up his briefcase and it's just like uh, plastic bags for sandwiches fall out. <laughs> oh man. God, that's funny. Wow. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> here are my feelings. So I thought um, Pete's opening segment was the strongest. Uh, I think the militarization of kids is absolutely atrocious and horrible. And you really harped on that, which I liked. Um, Phil, I don't know how. I, I don't. I don't think your point was terribly strong. You made the. You made the point that. Uh, you know, they get it done at the end. And I wanted to hear how they fail. And you didn't tell me that. And Marco, you didn't tell me anything. Um, <laughs> That's fair. But then in the rebuttals, I thought Phil really came on strong and made some good points about both the X-Men and the Justice League Dark. Uh, Pete essentially reiterated the same uh, point about um, the militarization of children. And Marco said a whole lot of nothing, gibberish, frankly. He's uh, <laughs> not even so, acknowledging it. No, um, <laughs> I think I think I was moved most by Phil's rebuttal, so I will vote for Phil. Ridiculous! You're voting. You're <laughs> voting against the greatest pantheon of heroes. <laughs> In favor of a man 
who makes children fight his disabled brother and a Holocaust survivor. (laughs) (laughs) What the hell did you say that during the debate? (laughs) If you would have said that, you'd have won. It's hilarious. Uh, So I I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, That was fun. Uh, I, I certainly, certainly wish that I could have taken part in the process because I feel that I would have ruthlessly trounced you guys, but it's okay. Oh, that's real easy uh, to say now on the other side of the judge boy. We're going to jump into some pals pulls now. Uh, this is a segment where the pals determine what books are upcoming for this next uh, Wednesday, the books that we feel are the stuff that we're the most looking forward to, and if you want to share yours with us, you can use the hashtag PalsPulls on Twitter and Instagram, and we will share them on the air if we like them. Some book that uh, we're not fans if you're of. Reading we'll seven. <laughs> if you're reading the Tekken comics, we're not fucking talking about them. Ah, come on. <laughs> That's good stuff. There's that mud know. you're slinging again. So, probably to the surprise of no one... Each one of us, even Kale, who is not on this show, have chosen Mr. Miracle number one. Woo! By Tom King and Mitch Jarrods. Because this book is, I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer. This is going to be something truly phenomenal. We're all fans of Vision, and this is just going to, this is DC's Vision. Like, this is this is going to be so amazing. I'm so glad to get this team back together. This is the team from Sheriff of Babylon. I mean, what more can be said? Just seriously. I mean, like, these guys work so fucking well together, and I just, I can't fucking wait for this book. It's gonna be great. Like, there, I, I just, I'm convinced, you know? Like, there's just, yeah. the talent here is just I too... I do not buy floppies. <laughs> okay. Cool. Th- th- Bill, cool. are you all right? Cool. Thanks, Bill. I'm sorry. Everything everything froze for a second, and I was like, oh, "What happened?" Because it was literally you just to, it, to us. It was like you just went, "I don't buy floppies," and then you just went, "I just froze," and we're just like, "Um, okay." <laughs> <laughs> so I, <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> oh my god. I was just going to say, I don't usually buy floppies. Um, I think I'm actually going to buy this uh, debut issue, though. That's all I was going to say, because I'm very excited for this tandem, and this book has got me pretty hyped. Yeah, man, absolutely. Uh, Marco, any words? Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I, I really like, um, I really, really liked uh, Sheriff of Babylon. Mitch Garrett's art was like fantastic in that. He's a great visual storyteller. Um. Yeah, just super looking forward to it. Cool. And then you also chose Redlands number one. Yeah, that's a a book by Jordi Belair. She's um best known as a colorist. She's on a bunch of books. Really, really love her. One of my favorites. Actually, she is my favorite. Uh, she's getting into writing, and this is going to be her first. I'm not sure if it's her first attempt, but it's going to be her attempt at like uh as a writer versus as an artist or as a colorist. So I'm definitely looking to support her. Cool. Uh, was she nominated for an Eisner? Yeah. I feel she, like I saw her name. Yeah, she, yeah. she gets nominated. Like If she doesn't win, she gets nominated like every year. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Phil, you also chose the Batman 
uh, by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo box set, the second box set. <clears throat> yeah, so this one is mostly the Zero Year stuff from their run. Um, I think Zero Year was probably in the top three story arcs that they did together. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, up there with like the Jim Gordon Batman stuff and uh, Court of Owls. Uh, I'm a I'm a collection trader. I like getting these things um, in in larger collections, like Absolute Editions or Omnibuses. And this is like a deluxe, a deluxe like volume of three volumes, I guess. I don't know what you'd call it. It seems like a new thing that DC is doing, and uh, it looks cool. I, and I know I've been very dismissive and condescending toward the Snyder Run, but it is it is pretty good, honestly. Um, I liked it. Um, so it's worth, it's worth picking up. It's only 50 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's a lot of content for that price. And also just a sleek package too. Very nice. Yeah, good presentation. <clears throat> uh, I also chose, uh, Generations Phoenix and Jean Grey. Classic. Uh, I, <laughs> I am beyond excited for this book. I think it's going to be phenomenal. They've kind of been building towards it in the Jean Grey proper book. Um, at least it feels like they have. I don't have confirmation that they're directly related, but it seems like that's where they've been going. So I can't wait for this. I'm so excited to see the original Jean Grey return. It's been so long. I know she's not back for Marvel Legacy, but just to see her one more time, I, I like I, this is going to be a moment for me when I'm reading this book. So I, I can't wait. Just on, on Kale's behalf, I just want to go, oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he would the do. The only reason why I was happy that he wasn't on this ish- episode was so that I wouldn't have to hear that when I talked about this. So thanks, Pete. If you want to <laughs> trash Jean Grey with me, just follow me on Twitter at T-O, 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 T-O. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, so I, the other book I want to talk about is Secret Empire number eight. And I just need a few moments to really just gush over Secret Empire. The floor is yours. It, thank you. Sean Soapbox mm-hmm. right now. At Sean Soapbox on Twitter. Secret Empire. Yes, thank you. Uh, Secret Empire is legitimately the best Marvel event that they have done for my money since Civil War. It technically might even be better than Civil War, to be honest. I'll never say that because of the adoration that I have for that event. But on a technical level, divorced of my feelings, that very well could be true. That's how good it is. If you don't read it because of the Hydra Cap thing, please get over that. Get, get, get over, over yourself. yourself. Yeah. Just read this. Stop letting your feelings get in the way of reading quality storytelling. Nick Spencer is doing such a phenomenal job with this series that, honestly, I really hope that they don't shelve him after this because of all the controversy. This is a guy who gets it. He's injecting emotion into superhero comics, which is not easy to do, or at least a lot of writers don't. Um, the art is incredible. And the layering of this story, I mean, it matters. It's a story that matters, and a lot of events don't. And so I implore anyone to pick it up. It's almost over. There's two issues left. The trade will be out shortly after that. Jump on it. Pick it up. It's it's phenomenal. I can't speak highly enough of this book. Seriously. Give it a chance, please. I don't I mean, I don't work for Marvel, obviously. I'm not getting anything out of saying that. It's just nice to be able to talk 
highly of a Marvel event again. And as a Marvel fanboy, I'm really happy to be able to do that. So <clears throat> that's my that's my rant. Can you help Pete distinguish the difference between this Secret Invasion and Secret Wars? I fucking hate you. All right. <laughs> uh, okay, I got you. So in Secret Invasion, Cap is dead. In Secret Wars, Cap is dead. In Secret Empire, Cap is bad. Cool. <laughs> that was really Good. helpful. Yes. Uh, so that's the Pals Pulls segment for this week. Again, you can use the hashtag Pals Pulls to share yours with us or talk about ours if you want to. So we're jumping into the news. And we just talked about Mr. Miracle by Tom King. <clears throat> and uh, there's a big push at DC to really bump this book. And Dan Didio and Jim Lee sat down during San Diego Comic-Con to talk about this very book. Uh, and they had nothing but praise. <clears throat> uh, they said there's nothing like Mr. Miracle on the shelves. Uh, so I'm going to share some quotes from them. This comes from Didio. Mr. Miracle is a little bit more of a special project. He told that to comicbook.com. That was a conversation I had with Tom King because I was a big fan of his vision work, and I said, I want you to do vision here at the DCU. As Tom would describe it, we went through a couple of lists, and it came down to Atomic Knights and Mr. Miracle, and then he had the idea for Mr. Miracle that just seemed to resonate. And what I really liked about it is the Kirby stuff is a hard nut to crack. It's unique to Jack Kirby, his voice, his style, and it's very hard to emulate. Most people come on board and they try almost to emulate it to the point that it just weakens the product. I felt what Tom King is doing with Mr. Miracle is so fresh, even though it's true to the character, he's not afraid to explore it in a way that we haven't seen before. It's an exciting book to see, and it really plays to Tom's strength. He has a great rapport with Mitch as well. Those two are a great team. Uh, and then this, just from Jim Lee really quick. To me, I think what Tom loves about the project is that because it's not Batman or the Justice League, it could play around with the whole structure of the character and how he tells a story in a way that he couldn't on a more quote-unquote mainstream book. There's nothing like it out there right now. Huh. So, there you go. That last one's interesting. Yeah. Uh, he had a lot more to say. I just didn't want to keep reading quotes, but um, they're really high on this book, and they did a full interview about it. Obviously, there's PR stuff, right? You have to talk up a book, but it's rare for people to come out this just so excited and so like earnestly talking about yeah, it. Yeah, and like you can tell the difference between PR speak and when someone's actually genuinely excited about the product that they're promoting. At least I can. And, like, you don't say, oh, he has more freedom than he does on our mainstream books. You know, like, that's not a thing. That's not a PR thing. Because on if a PR person was saying that, I'd be like, oh, we're so happy to, you know, like, have this new offering that speaks to a different – you don't you don't trash, you know, and not that they're saying those <laughs> books are bad, but you're trashing them. You're saying, oh, you can't get away with experimental, you know, like, really quality this kind of storytelling in a Batman monthly. And it's like, he's right. That's true. And, you know, it's like that that gives me real confidence. Not that I didn't already have it because it's, you know, it's Tom Mitch. Like, it's going to be good. But, like, to hear that the people that are paying for the book and are, you know, thinking about the numbers are so excited to put it out, too, is, like, good. Like, that means that it's going to get the push it deserves, too. Uh, and, again, it's out this Wednesday. So, rush Pick to your comic store. Get it on digital, however you read your books. And... Support it because I think that, you know, whenever something like this comes out that's left of center, you really need to show love because that's how they know that we want more stuff like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, so <laughs> we talked about we t- we talked last week about uh, the millions of dollars that it was costing. Oh God, DC and Warner Brothers during reshoots of Justice League. Well, we have a little bit more information about how much time and money it may cost to remove Henry Cavill's mustache <laughs> in Justice League. We've had we have Batfleck watch. This is Cavill stash watch. <laughs> yes, yes, I love that. Um, so this is coming again from ComicBook.com. Uh, they spoke to an industry insider who wants to remain anonymous. That is a VFX artist that had some stuff to say about what it would cost and what it would take to complete what it is that they're looking to do, which is remove this mustache from every one of his scenes. So the following is a quote from the unnamed artist. If you filmed an actor with a mustache and want it removed, that will be expensive. You typically have to 3D motion track a new face patch on the actor to remove the stash and all its shadows. This involves matching both their head, body position, and facial expressions. It must sync with all their dialogue. Then you have to light that face patch and composite it in in and make it look seamless. Or you can paint every frame by hand, but that's prone to flicker, look funny, or drive you insane. Oh, boy. So, yeah. So, the only kind of saving grace is that uh, because it's an effects-heavy movie, the 3D models are already in place, and so that'll help out. Um, And there are effects houses who have gotten really good at doing stuff like this, like de-aging people, like Michael Douglas and Kurt Russell. So, we've, we've come a long way, but still... This is a project that could take a ton, a ton of time. Um, they, they actually said it could take as much as 25 weeks under normal circumstances to reduce, to remove the mustache from a five minute clip. Good grief. Wow. That's crazy. You know, the people working on that are just going to be depressed by the end of that. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's going to take. A, a team, you know, a massive team of people to deal with this. <laughs> can, can you imagine? You're like the VFX artist who does that, and it's everyone's like, "Oh yeah, like you got to work on Justice League, right? Like, what were you doing? You know, get to do some of the action scenes." Like, nah, I fucking edited Henry Cavill's upper lip for about six weeks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> team upper, team upper lip, team uh, team chin, team lower team, lip, team lower lip. <laughs> I was the soul patch guy. I just removed that little <laughs> tiny. <laughs> if I, I, I'm, I'm being serious about this. If I were an executive at WB, the thought would have crossed my mind to just edit, to just like leave it in, to just be just like, fuck it. Superman in. grows a mustache halfway through the movie. <laughs> because the cost of like the cost of this is crazy. Uh, so we've got a rumor that's coming from Forbes. Um, that Wonder Woman could appear in the Flashpoint movie. So, from Forbes, this is this is a quote from the article. Godot is also expected to reprise her role as Wonder Woman in the upcoming production of Flashpoint. It will also be more of another superhero team-up featuring several additional DC characters. So, we talked about it last week. We talked about Flashpoint, and we kind of said it probably won't be anything close to the actual comic but if wonder woman and several additional dc characters are going to be in it it might that would be so weird 
that would actually make me really upset, to be honest with you, just because, like, I don't have a problem with that as a thing in, in comics, but I don't want to see Gal Gadot be an evil person. <laughs> like, by that point, we'll only have seen her in, well, no, I guess Wonder Woman 2 would have come out by then, right? No, so yeah, we'll only have seen her as a hero in, like, two movies that we're going to see her be, like, this evil despot and cut off Aquaman's wife's head and shit, like. <laughs> see, go ahead, Phil. This is... This is the first ever Flash movie, and we're going to bog it down with a bunch of extraneous shit. Come on. I agree with that. Yeah, that's Uh, a good point. This this is also why I feel like the Elseworlds kind of stories, the what-ifs or whatever, they have to be done in an extremely delicate way, because what Pete said is right. How are audiences going to react to Wonder Woman suddenly being evil? And it's not necessarily that they won't understand it. It's that it's weird, and it's a little awkward, and what place does this have in their film slate? What's the point? You're asking good questions. Yeah, questions that, like, I don't know. I mean, we don't, I, I don't even know that we can, like, really figure that out. We have to, I don't know, we have to wait, I guess. Could be good. Sure. Hot takes all around, guys. <laughs> no, it's just, I mean, it's just true, you know? It's like, I... I just, like, I don't really have anything else to say that isn't just me jumping up on a soapbox and criticizing D- DC for things we've already said, you know? Where it's like, yeah, like, this is why they shouldn't do Flashpoint, you know? Like, there are cool things in Flashpoint to do, but, like, for the fl- first Flash movie, that seems like a really weird decision. Yeah, I, I don't get it myself. Um, but it, we'll see. Again, it's a rumor. Who knows if it'll, you know, pan out this way. Um, I just, I got it. It's, it's like Civil War. They're just like they're doing Civil War. They're using Flash to do a Civil War type movie, and it's very early for that. Yeah, and I just don't. It's very early for it, and I feel like Civil War. Like. I had those reservations going into it when they announced it with that title and everything, but, like, I have way more confidence in Marvel as a studio and the Russo brothers, you know, like, as the people to helm that, whereas, like, we don't know, like, we do we know who the director is? They changed directors, like, two or three times, but I don't remember who it is at this point, but I don't know, it just, I don't know, it just seems like a really, it's just premature, yeah, it did lose its director. It got a new one, uh, Robert Zemeckis. Yeah, he's a good director. Yeah, he is talented. Yeah. So I Back mean, to the future. Yeah, it's like, I, I mean, who knows, right? Like, there's a chance that this plays well and that they've been planning for this since BVS and that was the whole thing with Flash coming. You know, it's like, I don't fucking know. Like, it's uh, like, it just... I just don't feel like by the time we get there and we're going to have to see these characters in these weird world reversals and everything, it's going to feel really unearned, I think. It's going to feel rushed. And I don't want that to be our first, like, solo outing with The Flash. You know, like, this is his first, like, solo movie. It would be nice to get, like, a Flash story. Yep. Well, we'll we'll see when they eventually put this out. But ultimately, I think any any person would agree that we need time with the flash so hopefully we do get that uh so we've we've heard a little more about the Shazam movie we've we've heard some more about this um 
the director, David F. Sandberg, has talked about it. Uh, he spoke with the Toronto Sun. And he said that it's going to be the most lighthearted DC movie yet. Uh, so here's a quote from him. The big attraction for me with that character is the fact that every kid dreams of being Superman, right? I mean, I certainly did. And Billy Batson is a kid that gets that chance. He gets to become the superhero, so it'll be big with superpowers in a way. In terms of what people can expect, I think this will be one of the more fun or lighthearted movies so far in the DC Universe. It certainly will be a departure. So my question for you guys is, we know who Shazam is. We know that story. Does this character, does this story resonate with audiences? Do they care? Does the lighthearted nature turn people off? Or does any of that even matter if the quality is high? I feel like the lighthearted nature is a very... Uh, it's it's very self-aware of like the direction that, that the films have been taking and so this is like a an attempt to not follow suit um but with a character that like i have no relationship to or that i would assume many audiences will not have a relationship to because they're not one of the the trinity and they're not one of the i mean they they, they might be in like in comics and stuff but for like uh, we don't like using the word, but like for normies and for people who don't read superhero comics aren't aware of this character. Like I only know him in uh, Kingdom Come and there was like a convergence issue that had Doc Shaner on it. Like that's the only thing I know about this character and um, I feel like they could, taking it, taking advantage of the fact that they don't have that, they can sort of remove it in to an extent from the DCU and make it lighthearted. So I think that that will be successful and I think that it'll be a good way to introduce people to the characters that otherwise people wouldn't know. I personally think that when I think of Billy Batson, I think of I think of the Suicide Squad tonally. So I hope he's Daddy's little monster. I hope he's damaged. Uh, boys and other <laughs> one-liners from DC uh, movies. Boys, um, <laughs> your monster, Phil. On brand, baby. Your squirrel, Phil. Hey, whoa, whoa! Don't point any fingers at. Don't point your scrolly fingers at me, Marco. <laughs> I think. I mean, does anyone really want a grim, dark Captain Marvel movie? Right. Honestly, yeah. Um, no. So, Billy Batson, Shazam, Captain Marvel, whatever you want to call him, is great. He's one of the best properties in comics. There's a lot of rich material to draw from. DC doesn't utilize him a lot. Um, but, you know, I've been hyped for an idea of a Shazam movie forever. And, like, what I hear, what, what Sean described from the report, it sounds promising. Yeah, I mean, I think this sounds like a no-brainer, right? Like, I'm definitely with you, Phil, where I don't think there's any world where a grim, dark Captain Marvel movie is a good pick. You know, or Shazam, rather, I guess. Um yeah, it just doesn't make sense, right? Like, I think that there's such a perfect narrative there. Like, again, the kid, every kid wants to be a superhero, and this is the story of a kid who gets to be a superhero. It's like, that's that's a perfect, you know, lighthearted uh, superhero story. And I feel like, you know, I made this point before, but you look at the DCU, and what's the one movie that everyone agrees is good? Wonder Woman. What's the one movie that's not grimdark? Wonder Woman. So good. I'm glad that they're going in this direction. And I don't think that that not grimdark means that they need to be like Marvel and that it needs to be like jokey and, and more like quippy and stuff like that. Because Wonder Woman wasn't like that. 
it was just light lighthearted because it was inspiring, you know, and it was uplifting. And that's what I think superhero tone. stories should be. Right. And there's a time and place for grimdark tales and superheroes uh, in superhero stories, but not every superhero should be that way. And in fact, a lot of them shouldn't. And I feel like this is a perfect um, the way that it, that that was that or excuse me, the way that you just described how he's planning to make the movie sounds exactly what a Captain Marvel movie should be. So I think this sounds great. I'm actually like actively looking forward to this now. Dawn of Martha. <laughs> I think that the DC slate of characters lends itself maybe even more than Marvel to a variety of different tones. Mm-hmm. Because so many of their characters are so radically different. They don't live in the same place. They don't deal with the same villains. Um, they're just different. And I think Shazam is probably one of the most different characters in comics in general. And the character himself lends to the kind of tone that Sandberg speaks of. So that's great. I'm glad that he's, it sounds like he gets that. My thing is... Um, whether or not audiences will take to this. And I hope that they do. Um, and I don't think that if they don't, it will be because it's lighthearted. I just wonder if the idea of a boy becoming a superhero is something that will resonate with modern audiences that are a little jaded, especially with the DC stuff. What's the reaction going to be like is my, my question. I think if the movie's good, there's an audience for it. I think movies like The Incredibles and Iron yeah. Giant prove that or even Spider-Man Homecoming proves that this kind of thing is needed. And I remember when Man of Steel came out, the big narrative is in the wake of a lot of depressing current events and like grimdark movies, a movie that will teach people that a man can fly again, like the original 78 movie, was what the culture needed. And then the movie came out, and that's not what it provided. I think this movie could easily be something like that. Yeah, I think that's really the big thing. Like, I, I definitely agree with Marco's point that it, it could be really refreshing. And I think I I think there is room for that. I think we went through a really big period in our culture where, like, we had this – we we as a culture decided this narrative that, like, there was no place for cheesy Boy Scout superheroes or whatever. But, like, I don't agree with that. Like, I don't think that – I don't buy that interpretation. And I think that, like, there is really something to that whole – just having a simple story about a hero and something that is like uplifting and inspiring, like I think this can totally hit that note. And and if it's really good, hit that like, you know, to your point, Phil, that seventies OG Superman like vibe, you know, of just something that tugs at your heartstrings in just the right way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we all we all look forward to this movie. Unfortunately we're talking about a bit of comic book news that swept the media this week uh, and is a reflection on some of the more negative elements of the comic book fandom. (sighs) So uh, Heather Antos is an editor at Marvel. She's super talented. Uh, The unbelievable Gwenpool is one of her, one of the books that she's well known for. Uh, Very well liked. A lot of creators like working with her. Dirk Manning, who, is someone who we love on this show, uh, is a big fan of her of hers and is dying to work with her. That's just to speak to her reputation. She posted a selfie on Twitter of herself and a number of other female um, editors at Marvel and, and just gen- just 
people who work at Marvel in general that happen to be women. And uh, it was – she tagged it, hashtagged it, Fabulous Flow. Flow was um, one of the pioneers of Marvel who recently died and they were celebrating her life and stuff like that and honoring her and uh, whatever. Heather chose the op- this opportunity to take this selfie with her friends. They happened to be out getting milkshakes. So, of course, uh, the internet decided to be shitty that day. And a number of people came out of the woodwork and attacked her and these girls with negatives such as fake geek girls. This one boggles my mind. The creepiest collection of stereotypical SJWs anyone could possibly imagine. And gee, I can't imagine why Marvel sales are in the toilet. Of course, she also got direct messages which weren't shared. Um, and uh, Heather Antos made the following tweets in response to these things. The internet is an awful, horrible, and disgusting place. How dare I post a picture of my friends on the internet without expecting to be bullied, insulted, harassed, and targeted. Woke up today to a slew of more garbage tweets and DM for being a woman in comics who posted a selfie of her friends getting milkshakes. So that's awful. And that's coming on the heels of some of the shitty stuff that we reported on months ago with Chelsea Kane, who wrote Mockingbird and got a ton of heat on Twitter and other places um, for hyping up the Mockingbird series for uh, soliciting a cover of Mockingbird, an, an alternative color variant where she's wearing a shirt that says, ask me about my feminist agenda. Um, and she just was attacked and hasn't worked in comics since, I believe. Uh, and, and of course, you know, we can go on and on about the examples. So that's the dark side of this. There is, however, a positive because the, a lot of the internet came out in defense of her. So many creators who are who have worked with her or are fans of hers came out in support. DC showed up big time, actually. A ton of DC uh, creators came out in support. In fact, the women of DC posted their selfie of them all drinking milkshakes um, in support of Heather and in support of the Marvel women who were attacked here. Um, Heather did another selfie. Uh, and so, so, like, it just – it really got – it really blew up. And I think Archie uh, did something like that too, right? Something yeah, like yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know exactly what we're here to say about this, except that this is awful. That the reaction, the negative reaction, is awful. But I'm happy about the positive. Yeah. What do you, what do you guys have to say about this? I was just gonna say it's it's gross. Shut up, internet. Like, and thank you to all those people who are just good human beings and came out to support this. Like. That's all I, I'll i say. And yeah, that's what it comes down to for me is just it, it's disappointing. It's disappointing that so many people who are in this community are still that way. You know, that there, there are a lot of really shitty people that read comics, you know, and they take any opportunity they can to try to tear people down uh, who like anything that ruffles their feathers in the wrong way, you know. And whether that's, you know, a couple of women just trying to go out and have a milkshake and have a good time, um, you know, or or Marvel's push for diversity, whatever it is, you know, um, and they got to take every chance they can to just, you know, be as vitriolic as they can. And, and that's disgusting, you know, and I think I said this 
uh, maybe it was during the Zack Snyder thing when there was people who were doing the same thing. But it's just like I would really ask you to, you know, <laughs> look inward, right? If you read superhero comics and all that and you care about superheroes so much that like, do you really think that that's that's what you should be doing? That's the the right morally correct thing to do is to target people or send them death threats or try to shit on people just for being in the industry that you like to. The internet is good at internet. It's full of a lot of shitty people. All those people can go fuck off. Um, honestly. Um, and I, you know, people that do that, they're just extremely insecure and unhappy people. You know, when you tear someone else down, it's cause you're a pretty miserable person. So, uh, I don't, I don't condone any of that behavior. And if, if you are one of those people, kindly fuck off. Yeah, sincerely. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think to Sean's point, like I always like to just try to focus on the positive in these in these situations. Like it's really cool that you know all those creators that came out and and stood up, all the fans that were sending in fan art and saying nice things. Like it's really easy to focus on the negative um, when there are oftentimes just as many voices or more voices out there who are saying positive things. So uh, thank you to those people. Yeah. Uh, I only, I only want to say that it's really frustrating that in an industry that is full of characters who represent, I mean, we talked about the X-Men who represent everything that this world needs diversity um, respect for each other. These are the ideals that these characters uplift. You know, working together, um, positivity, brotherhood. Yeah, sisterhood. You know, um, the idea that someone would want to tear those ideals down um, when you read these books yourself is insane. The idea that someone, a woman, can't post a selfie of her and her friends who also happen to work in comics as well. They can't post a selfie of themselves drinking a milkshake without people coming out and attacking them and saying, this is why comics are where they're at. No, that's insane. That's that's actually insane. Not only is that incorrect just on a factual level, it's incorrect historically. You don't know the contributions that women have made to comics. Obviously, you don't. Oh, yeah. You wouldn't be saying shit like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What were they like? You don't even know what they were celebrating. Why did she why did she use that hashtag? You don't even know. You don't know that person. You don't know why that person was so important. Why all of those people that work at Marvel was were celebrating her after she passed for what she contributed? You have no idea. So how can you say <laughs> how can you say that women are responsible for where comics are at? It's insane. And it, it just you were never going to get rid of this. So there's no point in ranting further. Uh, except to say that I'm glad that when these things happen, even more people show up and say no. Yeah, no, I mean, the best thing you can do is just shine a light on these people and say, fuck you. You know, like, seriously, it's like, grow the fuck up. We don't, we just, we don't need this. We don't need this toxic shit in this community. Yeah. Uh, and the hashtag that's floating around is uh, make mine milkshake, I believe. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yep. Love it. Let's, name that, let's make that the name of this episode. <laughs> <sighs> All right. So 
now that we got that out of the way, uh, hopefully we can have a little more fun. Uh, last week we talked about the the Captain Marvel film and how it would have scrolls in it. And uh, Pete actually asked the question of whether or not Marvel would play a role in her film, in Captain Marvel's film, and I said no, probably not. Well, uh, according to a rumor, I was wrong. Woo! Because... <laughs> uh, Allegedly, a script for the Captain Marvel film has leaked, and of course, with that comes a ton of spoilers. Um, one of them is that, and again, a lot of this stuff is vague. This isn't, we don't have access to the actual script. Um, so one of the things that's in the leak is that Marvel will take part in the, in the story and he will play a role in her origin. We don't know directly how much of a role, but um, in addition to that, uh, it's reported that the Psyche Magnetron machine will appear in the film and will be part of how she gets her powers, part of how Carol gets her powers. So in the comics, um, the machine basically is something that can give people superpowers. Um, but, right? But it only people with Cree DNA. And so she has, she's half Cree. She has half Cree DNA. And so she has some, in the books anyway, some latent desire to become a superhero. So the machine steals energy from the Negabands, which is what gives Marvel his powers. Um, it steals some of that energy and transforms her into a superhuman. Uh, so that, that could be how she gets her powers in the film. And then also, um, the leak suggests that it will address her identity as Miss Marvel. Of course, before she becomes Captain Marvel, for most of her years, she was Miss Marvel. And uh, it suggests that in some way or another, we'll get to see that. So what do you guys think about this leak? Do you think that there's validity to this? I feel like Marvel will function almost like an ebb and soar kind of personality. Um, from the Green Lantern mythos, who gives Hal Jordan the ring kind of thing. Sure, yeah. You know, the kind of loose mentor who teaches her how to do shit kind of thing. Um I I don't know if they're if this is valid. You know, it's like it's always hard with leaks like this because it's like it could be completely true or total bullshit. Could be an old script, you know, you, you never you never know. Um But that makes sense to me. You know, I think Marvel doesn't usually like do total from the ground rewrites, you know, it's like, yeah, they, they'll tweak things here or there. They'll take stuff from ultimate or whatever. And, and maybe just make it make a little bit more sense. So it's less like, so it takes less explanation. Right. But I don't think anything in, in Carol's story doesn't make sense. And I feel like Marvel is a huge pivotal part of that. Um, her career as Miss Marvel is the character's history, frankly. And like, I don't think that should be ignored. I want to see her in that original costume, even if it is just like a flashback kind of thing. Like it would just be cool. It would be great to get those nods to the history of Carol, who is a character that's been around for forever, but they've really tried to make more relevant in recent years. And that's great, but I don't want them to ignore that history because it's rich and which, which we should pull from it. The, yeah, the, the one that like is been the one she wore from like the, the black she, one. Yeah, the black one with the domino mask and the sash, and that she started that in like the seventies, right? I well, think. her original costume was a Marvel looking one. She had like a red and blue one. Yeah, but she switched. To, did she switch to that one? Ah, fuck. The, 
the costume she's most known for, yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure, is the one she's yeah. referencing. I'm, I'm trying to think of when people... she got that, because it was during an event, I think. Not sure. I don't know. Whatever. But it's relevant. When people think of her, that's what they think of, and I think that you don't you, – you can't just ignore that. Yeah. And why would you? You know, it's like that's part of the character. And, like, you know, I'm sure that eventually they're going to want to introduce this to Kamala and stuff like that or whatever. Maybe not. But, like, that – the reason that she has that name is because that mantle means something. And, like, I think having at least a small nod to that, even if it is mostly a Captain Marvel movie, totally cool. Like, I think that would be a great little thing for us as, you know, fans. Uh, and I'll, just to speak to these leaks real fast, uh, so when Homecoming was announced – there was also a script leak for that. And it was almost one-to-one with what we saw on screen. So there you go. Not a lot changed. Um, so th- if this is the same kind of deal, this could be true. So, That'd be great. You know, yeah. Uh, I would not seek out these leaks any further if you don't want uh, direct spoilers. Um, so we all learned that Sam Jackson would rep- reprise his role as Nick Fury in the Captain Marvel film. Through news reports from San Diego Comic Con, and we As now know out, how much it's going to cost for them to digitally replace his eye. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but as it turns out, that's also how Sam Jackson learned he'd be playing. <laughs> yeah, uh, he said in a recent interview during the press tour for his movie, The Hitman's Bodyguard, that. Um, he found out the way everyone else did, which is really weird. Um, I don't know why they would keep that from him. But the funny thing from that interview is that he says that when he first played Nick Fury and he had to wear the eye patch, he, of course, memorized his script and then went on set to shoot the film. And when he had his eye patch on, he could not remember the lines. So he thought, oh, it's a fluke because I, you know, didn't get a lot of sleep the night before. But every single time after that, that he would put on the eye patch, he could not remember his lines. So in order to remember his lines for Nick Fury, he has to read the lines with one eye covered. That's really weird. Yeah. That's the weirdest thing. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't expect that. No. Yeah. It's just, it's just so weird because, like, he's such a, like, ridiculously talented actor and, like, it's just funny that, like, that's just such a weird little quirk, right? And, like, I can just imagine that, like, day one, like, you show up and it's just, like, this guy who's, like, an industry veteran, you know, just, like, can't remember his fucking lines. He's like, what the fuck's <laughs> going on, Sam? Like, <laughs> Right? Do you think, because this is a period piece that takes place in the 90s, do you think Sam L. Jackson in this movie is really going to be Jules from Pulp Fiction. <laughs> no, but I really hope he has Jerry Curls, because that would be fucking amazing. With great and furious anger. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was some cold shit to say to a motherfucker before you invited him into the <laughs> Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. All right. So, Joe Russo... Uh, one half of the Russo brothers and also co-director of Avengers Infinity War has been talking a lot about the, the upcoming movie. And one of the things that he said that's really interesting is that he wants, him and his brother want, to make Thanos this generation's Darth Vader. So the following is a quote from him. The stakes are incredibly high. 
I wanted to turn Thanos into Darth Vader for a new generation. He's an incredibly intense character, sociopathic. He takes no prisoners. I think the audience needs to be prepared when they go see these movies. Structurally, with this first film, Avengers 3, we've been using smash and grab 90s heist films. He's referring to the inspiration. Uh, there's a real urgency to the film, and it adds a level of, of excitement and relentlessness to the movie. It's a lot of divergent narratives coming together into a climax. So, what do you guys think about that? That sounds Can... messy. Go ahead. Why? A lot of divergent plot threads coming together. That always, to me, sounds like, oh boy, there's gonna be too much going on. I mean, I think he means like in general, like yeah, that, like they're bringing together the narrative that they've been putting across like this whole web, you know? Yeah. Um. It, the description sounds busy to me. Um, I mean, hopefully. I mean, that's been my feeling about this movie the whole time. Is like, there's too much going on. There's too much going on. Too many characters. But, I mean, we'll see. It's in good hands. Yeah, that's my thing. Is like This is the kind of thing that if it was anyone else saying this, I would be like hypercritical. But like I have a lot of confidence in the Russos. I think they're really good directors. You know? And like they've proven it with two of these movies. Like, Civil War, I thought was going to be really bloated and stuff, and it fucking wasn't. And it was really tight. And, again, like, I brought this up last week. Like, they did this shit with Community, where it's like, they, there was a lot of things that could have really been messy, shitty episodes of that show that are just well executed because they're super fucking talented. As as for the meat of that, the this generation's Darth Vader, that feels like a, that feels like a quote for media to sink their teeth into like a it's like a pr line you know like you're right but again like i feel like if you you're the one saying that as a director not a pr guy like that's a really tall order like i feel like they must really be confident that they're doing something special i don't think you just make that comparison lightly i don't know that's that's the kind of thing you say to hype up a movie it's like pre-movie rhetoric you know the Russos aren't known for that. Yeah, that's true. That's like, and they're, again, directors don't usually want to put that much pressure on their own movie, you know, and be like, oh, yeah, Thanos is going to be the next Darth Vader. It's like, all fucking right. Like, that definitely makes, that that puts a certain expectation on it that I don't think you would want to put on your own movie unless you were fucking confident in it. Uh, I think they are confident in it, but I also think they want to put that attention on it. That's fair. I don't know. I'm, I'm with Sean, though. I don't, I don't feel like they're the kind of guys to do that based on, like, the way that they've just talked about their films in the past. Okay, so with the, the Vader thing, I think that – I think that that's something that the Marvel Universe needs. But I wish that they had been trying to do this from his first appearance because he hasn't really had a ton of screen time, which is fine. But he also – we don't know anything about him. Like, we don't know. We know he wants the gems. We don't know why. Um, we don't really know why he's doing any, any of this. We don't know his motivations. So they're going to have to do a lot of, you know, peppering him up in this film to establish who he is, why we care about him, what his what his goals are. We know we're getting the, the children of Thanos, so the Black Order from Jonathan Hickman's run. They've repurposed their name. We know we're getting that. Uh, we don't know if he's going to be obsessed with death. We don't know if, um, if uh, gosh, what's her name? Hela from Thor is the personification of death who he's going to be interested in. There's so many questions. We know the movie's two and a half hours, but we also know that every character's in this. So how much time do they have to really dive into Thanos? 
is he going to get the kind of screen time and the kind of attention that the Joker got in Dark Knight? Or is this going to be like another Ultron where it's like, all right, you're there and there are seeds of an interesting character, but it's half-cocked? Not just that, but it's like you said, he's had these previous appearances appearances, and the general audience that I've seen these movies with don't care about him. They're like, oh, he's just a guy in a chair. And when I talk about these Infinity Stones... None of those movies have done a really good job of explaining what they are. Like I know what they are, but a lot of people I've seen the films with have no knowledge of like what, what are these things? Like what what are See, they? I don't I don't think that's a problem because I think like that's a that's a thing in movies, right? Like what like what's in the briefcase in Pulp Fiction? You know, like that's much what is different? I think. Well, let me make my point though. And I think like it doesn't matter if you really know what these items do or because it's like you saw. Like, like we saw in Guardians, right? Oh, they give people power. That's why people want them. They're powerful. And, like, you don't really need to know what they are until Thanos gets them all together and does something with them. And I feel like as long as, to Sean's point, like, if he gets the attention he needs as a character, the gems are, like, inconsequential. They're just, they're powerful item that gives you power. And, like, that's just a, that's an easy, like, movie trope to wrap your fucking brain around. They're gonna, yeah, they're going to have to spend a lot of time on the character, and these movies are going to have, like, what, 20 superheroes in them or something? More? But you got to think, they're all developed, though. Like, they're not, we don't, like, most of these characters, like, they, they've had their own movie, we know who they are, we know their motivations, and I feel like we're going to see them in a group setting for the most part, and it's not going to be about them coming together, it's going to be more about, oh, what happens when the Avengers meet the Guardians, because they have the same goal for the first time. But that's, so you, but that's a thin... That's thin. Like, what made Civil War as a movie so good is that, compared to the other two crappy Avengers movies, is that these were movies about the relationship between Tony, Steve, and Bucky. You had three characters that the story centered around, and the group stuff was extraneous for, for uh, it, like, action and, and glamour. Uh, if this movie has none of that... Uh, it will be okay if they focus as Thanos as maybe the central character. That's my that, point. That, that would be great. But like to Sean's point, if it's another Ultron thing, let me let me just say I'm I'm bringing up that point to drive conversation. I don't believe that. I I firmly believe that Thanos is going to be handled excellently because the Russos have proven that they know what they're doing in this universe in this sandbox. And with the Winter Soldier film, Winter Soldier, the villain, like if, if from that one movie is in the top, I would say three, two to three even villains that they've had. So they know how to make a, a monster. They made him the Terminator. Why can't they make Thanos Vader? Yeah, uh, uh, only, that's, I'm with you. I, the only I'm difference is there's more, more fingers in the pie. That's the only reservation. Yeah, but it's like just because there's more characters for them to play with doesn't really mean that they don't have that control, you know, and it's like I think I like I don't know, dude, like we read comics like I don't think there's any problem with having a story that has like 20 characters if they're not all the main character, you know, and like they're not all going to be the main character. They're all the they're all the main character in their own story. But like, yeah, Peter Parker and, you know, Doctor Strange and all these characters are going to be in this movie and have arcs to a degree, I'm sure. But it's mostly going to be like them in groups, I'm sure. You know, like, it's going to be like, this group of characters is doing a thing. This group of characters is doing a thing together. And I just don't think it's going to be as about them growing as characters as it is, like, them interacting with each other into the overall narrative. It's going to be all about centered around Thanos. It's going to have to be. The whole story is about him. It's about him getting those gems and, you know, and fucking 
trying to get death's attention. Like it's his story. Marco, what do you think? Uh, I agree with Pete. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to be mostly about the team dynamics. And I think that, um, I think, I think Thanos is going to play a large, like a, a really large role in, in the film, but I, and we know what the Russo brothers have done. So I, I feel like it'll be handled well and it'll be a good, it'll be a good movie. Just to add a, a little bit of uh, some lasting context before we uh, wrap up this conversation, uh, Joe, Ruth, Joe Russo, um, as I said earlier, he's been talking a lot about this movie. And in one of the interviews that he did, he said that this movie would focus on the most important characters in the MCU. So you can expect there not to be a large focus on like the Falcon or War Machine or whoever else. Expect it to focus on generally the characters who have had their own movies, I would say. Um and and wrapping up those big storylines like uh, the the fractured Avengers, you know, and that kind of stuff. And I think when you're talking about that over the course of two movies, because we know Avengers four is directly connected and Thanos is in it, that's super significant that's, too. That's about five hours of movie because they said this one's two and a half hours. The next one's going to be around the same length. That's five hours of, of of time to really make this something great and 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 flesh this out. And so my level of worry is at about a zero, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I, dude, like, I just, I think, I, I think again, I know you said you made this point just to, like, push the conversation forward. I don't even think it's, like, fair to compare this to, like, Avengers 2. Because, like, Avengers 2 was, like, and it, Phil, I get it. You don't like Avengers. Please don't say it again. Um, Avengers 2 was was phoned in. Like, Aven- like Joss Whedon didn't want to make that movie. It was clearly, like, just, it was not... It's not this. Like this is something they've been building up to for forever, and the Russos are are like they're not they're not Joss Whedon. They're not anyone else. Like they are them, and we've seen how well they can handle an ensemble cast. I feel like there's no reason to go into this with anything but high hopes. Frankly, like, it's going to be really exciting. So now we're going to talk about the curious case of the Fantastic Four. We we've talked about before their disappearance and. You know, the fact that they're no longer uh, sort of in the Marvel books anymore. Reed and Sue got shipped off into space, staying in Human Torture, you know, doing their own thing. Um, the Human Torch is with the Inhumans thing is like, you know, wherever he's at. Um, and, you know, we're about to get Marvel 2-in-1, which is cool. And I, I guess that's going to that's gonna sort of bring them back into the mix a little bit, Ben and, and uh, Human Torch. But... They're, they're pretty much gone. And the reasons why the Fantastic Four are gone, Marvel's never really been c- exactly clear. Um, we've gotten quotes from Tom Brevoort before, who I'll just actually I'll just read a quote and let his words speak for themselves. Uh, Fantastic Four is a title and a concept that has a lot of built-in historical importance in the Marvel Universe, but to the readership of today, it doesn't resonate the same way that X-Men or Avengers or even Guardians of the Galaxy does right now. Um, and this is this is after he told Newsarama in 2016, um, after Secret Wars was over, um, that he was sort of explaining why they weren't around anymore. Um, and this is uh, the following is more of a quote from him. It's sort of taken for granted. It's sort of seen as a holdover from another era, which isn't to say that the characters aren't great or the concepts aren't great or that it isn't a linchpin of the Marvel Universe. But it's just the facts of the world and the zeitgeist of today. Fantastic Four hasn't been at the forefront. So what he's saying is that the sales of the Fantastic Four weren't great and that 
as a result of that, there wasn't a, a desire on their part to keep publishing these books. But now, a lot of creators, based on this Newsarama uh, article where they've dived into this and tried to figure out the reason, the real reason, why we don't get the Fantastic Four, creators themselves have come out and are telling the truth about what's going on. Um, in particular, Jonathan Hickman, the last writer of the Fantastic Four, uh, who got to kind of do their send-off with Secret Wars, had the following to say. Uh, he was asked if he agreed that there was a disconnect between audience and the Fantastic Four by Newsarama, and he said, of course not. Not only because my personal experience is that that's not true, but the idea behind that concept is that the core concept is somehow broken, which is nonsense. Uh, family, future, and exploration are timeless universal concepts. Sure, they can be nostalgic, but they don't have to be. That's really the, bril the brilliance of a lot of the early Marvel characters. They were created by guys wrapping both arms around timeless themes. There are some exceptions to this, of course, but for the most part, almost everything Marvel owns is highly malleable and easily exploitable. I'd argue execution is the, mi is the, mission, the missing critical element necessary for a marvel book to succeed fantastic four is no different so that's coming from the, the horse's mouth this is the guy who wrote it last um and he does not believe that their their ability to penetrate the, the audience has anything to do with um this story so there's still more quotes to read i know that this is an embedded thing but I want you guys to stick with me because this is going to lead into our main topic. And I really want to talk about this because the Fantastic Four need to be in comics and the fact that they're not as ridiculous. So just really fast, do you guys want to comment on what I've said so far? Was that a dig at himself? How do you mean? Because he's like, oh, well, what's really important is execution. And he's the last writer of the Fantastic Four that led to them being canceled due to low sales. Like... Is he taking a, a shot at him? Well, as as we go on, you're going to realize that he doesn't think it's about sales. Because it's, That's it's what, not. His, his run right. was successful. Um, yeah, I like that run. I was just, like, it felt, uh, it, without the context, it felt like a dig yeah. at himself. Um, yeah, no, I, I think I, I think he's obviously correct. You know, I think that's always been a really laughable excuse, the fact that, that they don't resonate anymore. It's like there's, like, characters older than them that... And, and I don't know. I, I don't buy that, right? Like, I don't buy that things can become, like, so out of touch that they can't be. If it's, like, a truly good idea, that it can't be modernized or reinterpreted and executed on, in, on, in a different way that does resonate with a modern audience. I don't think that's uh, – especially with characters like the Fantastic Four. Like, please, that's ridiculous. Uh, I think, you don't, especially in comics, you don't need to look any further for an example of how it works than fucking uh, the new Riverdale series, which is, like, whoever thought that there would be a modern, like, Archie book that was voted the comic of the year when it came out. You know, mm -hmm. and it's like, but there was. And it's yeah. like, they took something that was, like, hokey and old-fashioned or whatever, and they just, you know, gave it a, a, a modern take on it and gave it to talent who had something to say with it. And I think that's all you need to do with the Fantastic Four to make them relevant again. They just don't want to. Um, it's funny because they're irrelevant and they're so irrelevant that DC is doing their own Fantastic Four book right now. <laughs> exactly. So let me let me continue with this. Now, the, the following is from John Barber, who actually was my teacher at the Comics Experience. Um, but he's, he's a, a writer for IDW and he used to be an editor for Marvel, actually. 
Um, so this was what he had to say. It's funny. Just a few years ago, there were two ongoing Fantastic Four comics. So I think it can connect with the audience. You just need the right story and the right hook to draw people in to find out it's the right story. So, again, he he's someone who's worked in this industry. He's worked with those characters. These people know what they're talking about. So now, here's Jonathan Hickman again talking about this issue. I think it's pretty common knowledge at this point that Marvel isn't publishing Fantastic Four because of their disagreement with Fox. While it bums me out, I completely understand because, well, it isn't like they're not acting out of cause. Fox needs to do a better job there. So his insinuation is that because of the movie suck, Marvel doesn't think that people will want to buy the books. Uh, which, remember that, because that's going to play into our conversation in a, in a few moments. Um, John Barber was more direct. He said, not to be blunt, but three fucking terrible movies don't help anything. I think that lack of a current Fantastic Four series owes a lot more to the film situation than to a lack of interest. Uh so again, you know, these people are they, they they know that there's a direct correlation between what's going on at Fox and and the issues between Marvel and Fox and they're not being a fantastic four comic book. Um and it's and it's really it's really unfortunate and sad. Um I think we can we can probably wrap it up with this. This is from Hickman. We knew a year or so out that the Fantastic Four as a property wasn't going to be published at Marvel past 2015. So a year before Secret Wars, they knew that Marvel wasn't going to let them continue to run with the book. When this became a foregone conclusion, then Secret Wars moved about six inches to the left to read as the last Fantastic Four story. I mean, it's not as they'll be back someday, and it's not as it's only the Doom Read access and not the entire family, but it's the best we could do because of how pregnant we were. Whether it's, uh, and then the, the final quote is from Brevoort. Whether it's tomorrow or in a year or in five years, the potential and indeed the likelihood is that there will be some new Fantastic Four book again. And in the meantime, those characters for the people that love them are still in play and are still a factor in the Marvel Universe. But the omnipresent but overlooked Fantastic Four is not. Hopefully that absence will actually make it more valuable when we announce some Fantastic Four thing at some date in the future. And I know I just said that was the last quote, but I actually want to end it with this from Hickman. Uh, Disney probably needs to buy Fox. <laughs> that, that's his last, that was his last word on the matter. So Jesus Christ, I never thought about that. How fucking crazy would that be? That'd be a disaster. That would be something. <laughs> no, it'd be, it'd be legitimately terrible. Like, not even speaking from like a partiality, that would be no, like, just like it'd as be a, a monopoly. Well, no, it already that's not is true. a problem. Like no, I Disney think it already, already has a problem, but Disney already has a problem. massive monopoly on entertainment. But to buy Fox, that would be insane. Yeah, because there's only like three or four major studios left because a lot of them keep getting conglomerated. Fox and Disney are among the largest. That well, would let's be not terrible. get too distracted. So we've never had this kind of confirmation from actual people who work in the industry talking about the Fantastic Four and why they're gone. Jonathan Hickman would know better than any of us what's going on. And for him to say that they were that they were told a year before that the book was not going to continue to be published, how how could they have known what the sales were going to look like a year from that point? That's Yeah, shocking. if the sales were that bad they wouldn't give it a year. Yeah. 
I, I can't imagine why they did that. And so for me, it comes back to what a lot of people have said, which is that it's it's the Fox issue. And we saw it with the X-Men. They basically wrote the X-Men off. There are no X-Men in the new uh, Marvel versus Capcom game. Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite. They're gone. There are no Fantastic Four in that game. You cannot pu- you cannot buy the Fantastic Four characters in the Marvel Heroes game. They're not available anymore. And they were. You can't get Silver Surfer. You can't get Doctor Doom. All those characters have been available for all these years. You, they're no longer available. Ten years ago, Wolverine was probably the second most recognizable Marvel character, arguably. Right now, he's pushed out of every narrative he's dead he's, well, he's, he's not dead. just that but just from like a branding standpoint they don't feature him right exactly and so this leads to a wider conversation about this simple question are comics an afterthought the big two who obviously are the the biggest proponents of uh, the biggest publishers of comics in the world um and their film industries have a lot of ambitions that seem to supersede what takes place in the books um we've seen countless instances of both companies altering characters entirely to reflect the film versions and in the case of marvel like we just talked about eliminate entire characters from their lineup due to rights issues in the film world so do comics exist just to set up stories for the films and act as like take-home material for film goers or is the big two's actions a way to piggyback off of the film successes to attract more readers i think that it speaks to the quality of both companies' books. I think Marvel's been trying real aggressively to have that synergy between books and movies. I think the movies definitely supersede the books. But as a result, I don't think Marvel publishes line-wide very many good books anymore. I think that's been true for a little while. Whereas with DC, especially in light of the news that came out recently from San Diego Comic-Con, with like the Evergreen Project, everything they're doing with Tom King, uh, perhaps that was true at one point, but I feel like the synergy aspect is not as important with Warner Brothers and DC. If anything, oftentimes it feels like Warner Brothers doesn't really care about DC. Um, the connection between Disney and Marvel seems really like they're intertwined with one another, Marvel Studios, whereas with Warner Brothers and DC Comics, it feels like Warner Brothers owns DC Comics and it will use whatever it wants in DC Comics. Um, but as a result, I think DC still publishes really good books and they care about the publishing line, whereas with Marvel, I don't get that impression as much. See, the thing is, and I agree they care about the publishing line, but you look at their most recent event, it was Justice League versus Suicide Squad. That doesn't even make sense as a premise, but they did it anyway. And then if you look at the Suicide Squad book, all of those characters reflect the, their film counterparts. Um, Harley Quinn's costume was altered. Um, they've, they've changed a lot. Um, what's her name? Oh, gosh. Um, the person who Amanda runs the Suicide Squad. Thank you. Amanda Waller. They've changed her look. They, they've completely altered that book to better reflect the films. Well, I think Amanda Waller became thin during the New 52 but that might have been with the intent of casting a thin black woman to play Amanda Waller for a movie or something. But I get your point. That's true. But I don't think it's... I mean, Man of Steel didn't really alter Superman books dramatically. Granted, they were using General Zod, but like that's not as extensive as some of the stuff Marvel has done. Um, or Wonder Woman right now. Like They haven't made... Wonder Woman resemble um, Gal Gadot or anything. You know what I mean? Sure, yeah, absolutely. I don't think it's as... I think 
I think Suicide Squad was a deliberate branding opportunity to try to brand these characters as like hot topic appeal, attract to a, a younger, newer audience. Like I think yeah. that was deliberate. I think I think the point that you're making, Phil, is valid, right? I think that like it's like yeah, sure, there are examples where DC has modified things to be more in line with the movies, but on a far smaller level than Marvel. Um, and I, that might even just be truthfully because DC has other things to offer and Marvel just doesn't anymore. You know, like Marvel put out, you know, we, we talked about before how Marvel puts out too many books. They're all pretty much mainline Marvel books. Whereas like DC is talking about doing this evergreen stuff. They are going to do this experimental Batman book. They are, they do have the Hanna-Barbera stuff. So I feel like it does seem like their comics offerings or just DC as a comic company seems a lot healthier to me. Like that's where most of the big talent is going right now. Like there was a huge talent drain at Marvel and everyone who didn't go independent is at DC. Um, and I, I don't even, I don't even know that it is like intentional. I don't know that it is like a, Oh, the comics are an afterthought or if Marvel's just made a lot of fucking mistakes in the last couple of years. Cause frankly, DC did the same thing a few years ago where I remember, you know, when we were just getting into comics journalism and Marco and I were always talking about numbers, DC was in a horrible place for a long time and they restructured and they fucking woke up, you know? And Maybe that's just what we're seeing with Marvel right now. And maybe, like, as much as the films probably had an impact on that a few years ago, I wonder if this wave that we're in now is a reaction to that, you know, to stuff that happened, like, years ago. And it's all just finally coming to bite them in the ass. In the case of Marvel, you mean? Yes, yeah, yeah. Whereas DC made a restructuring because they were losing a huge amount of their market share. And they turned it around. Let me give you guys an example. And then, Marco, I want to get your feedback. Um, Civil War 2. This is not something that Marvel has hidden from. They only made it because it was the 10-year anniversary of Civil War 1 and because the Captain America Civil War film was coming out. That's the only reason why they made it. Not only that, but anyone who knows about Marvel's timeline for events knows that they have summits. And two years in advance, they're planning these things. For better or worse, whatever you think about the quality, that's their timeline. Civil War II was made over the course of months. And because Mark Millar wouldn't do it, they chose to just have Brian Bendis do it because he was available. And they gave him the book. And when you read Civil War II, it feels like that. Because it's very... It's undercooked. And... They took a brand, the Civil War brand, that had value, that that people remember very fondly, look at me, and they made it into something that now has a black mark on it. If you didn't like the first Civil War, you still know how popular it was. And if you were reading comics at that time, you still remember what it was like. Now, no one cares about it because they ruined it just to tie into a movie. I don't know if that's true. I I think... I. I think they're mutually exclusive, honestly. I think people that love Civil War still love Civil War, and they recognize Civil War Two was just a cash-in, cash-cow, you know, trite garbage. And I think people that are big fans of the Civil War book easily divorce the two. I think so, too, yeah. And I, I think agree with that. Long-term... in comics. Yeah, long-term, people are going to remember Civil War. For better or worse, it's got to be... Probably the most well-remembered event next to the original Secret Wars. And Civil War II will be brought up just like Secret Wars 2 was. 
Like, oh, that that was made? Right, yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, that happened, and it was not interesting. <laughs> sure. But, but the thing is, like, what I'm saying is you have something that you say Civil War to a comic book fan and their ears perk up. It means something. You had an opportunity to take that 10-year anniversary, to take the fact that the movie was coming out, and plan something ahead of time and, and make something truly remarkable. And instead, they farted out something over the course of months, which is not their timeline at all, literally just because they wanted to get something out for tie-in for the movie. So what do they think happens? I go to the movie, see Civil War, and then I go to the store and just buy uh, Civil War 2 just because it's there. Like it's like That's why I said take-home material. It feels like... The books are just something like here. You you watch this movie. Go read this. It, it's tangentially connected. Give it's kind of please. related. Yeah, Marco, what do you think? You throw Captain Marvel as the main character of Civil War Two, and it's like we're making a movie for her later. Keep her in mind. Exactly. Yeah. Sorry, go on, Marco. I think that like obviously that's that's recent. The, like all all this, all this is happening within the last like. 10 years right so i don't know that or at least the movies influencing the comics are happening within the last like probably even less than that like probably since like yeah. 2012 with avengers right yeah right definitely, so definitely i'm thinking that while there are while while the comics are taking from the movies and vice versa i think that this is something that is happening just in the moment and i don't see it or i don't foresee it being anything more than marketing ploys until they people realize that it's not it's not working and i think to uh pete's point dc might have is realizing that and that's why they're expanding their offerings whereas marvel is really trying to really trying to like uh cash in on those hey like civil war 2 is coming out like like phil just said like starring captain marvel like trying to get you associated with the people who are going to be in the films but i don't think it's uh, it's a sticky situation because i i don't think it's treating the comics necessarily as an afterthought i think it's they're using them as a they use them as a tool and they are considering the value that there is in them. But I think that this is again, just an in the moment thing. Like it's going to last like a couple years, but people are going to wake up and realize it's not the right way to do things. Um, it's not what's going to, it's not, it's not what's going to bring in the long term reader, the long term viewer. It's not going to work for the overall Marvel brand and the mcu brand and so while it's damaging now i don't see it going past another two two three years with like events and stuff i think what marco just said is like really stood out to me is i i do think the difference i see in the way that marvel and dc seem to be handled is i feel like marvel feels like it's way more of a brand you know that there oh, yeah. is the consideration of like how the comics and the movies and the games and the merchandise all play into the larger consciousness around these characters that they've hit on. 
And I feel like DC's comics don't feel as connected to that machine in the same way. I don't feel like DC has had as much success with these movies, so obviously that's not as easy for them to do. But I don't feel like there's the same... Um, need to be as uh, homogenous in, in, in... Yeah, right, of, that you need to be able to, like, get all of it. You know, that, like, it's all for everyone. Yeah. Marvel is a brand in the way that WWE treats itself as a brand, no larger-than-life personality. I think that's a salient comparison. Whereas of DC, Batman's a brand. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Superman's a brand. Wonder Woman's a brand. Yeah, 100%. Not but especially DC. Batman. Yeah. yeah, especially Batman. But, you know, I think you're right. Like, I, it does feel like they seem to focus more on the individual characters that are successful than trying to push the overall DC Universe brand. Um, but that's even becoming less true, I guess, because when you look at all the success they have on television and stuff, like, they're starting to catch up. Look at the opening thing in the Wonder Woman where it's all the DC characters. It yeah. feels like they're starting to be like, let's push the extended universe. Yeah, yeah. I think and so. And make it that. Like, make it yeah. that one falling under the umbrella of it's not batman for batman it's batman for dc whereas like spider-man is no longer spider-man spider-man it's oh spider-man marvel what do you think sean i think that when we talk about whether or not it's intentional or malicious on marvel's part the consideration i mean when you consider the fact that they literally do not have a fantastic four right now and that Reed Richards and Sue are nowhere to be found. That tells me everything I need to know. They they literally tried to replace the X Men with the Inhumans. That's that's uncanny insane. Inhumans. Yeah, and they and they not only did they try, but they threw it in our faces that that's what they were doing by using those names, and then also at the same time saying, "Yeah, we're not doing that." So. You, you created an event called Inhumans vs. X-Men. You renamed the Inhumans book Uncanny Inhumans. Like, you, you killed Wolverine, Cyclops, Professor X, but that happened a while ago. You killed off the two most popular X-Men, like, main characters. And you're, and, and you're gonna tell me that you're not trying to, like, put this franchise down? I, no. It's it's obvious. <laughs> it's literally impossible to make that argument when they kill off Wolverine, who Wolverine is their second most popular character. I remember when X-Men vs. Avengers came out, uh, there was a uh, conversation posted online from one of the big Marvel editors, um, and it was in- anonymous, but the, the express intent, allegedly from this article was that we think we're going to get the X-Men rights back, but then um, the second X-Men movie from the new franchise came out, uh, Days of Future Past, which did really well financially. But they were thinking, this is around the time Avengers came out, the movie, we're going to be able to get the X-Men rights back, we're pretty sure of it. Then that happened, and the X-Men burial just got worse. I, I'd, be, I'd be remiss if I didn't reference the work that Bleeding Cool has done on this. Uh, they started a series of articles in 2014 talking about this very issue with the Fantastic Four. And one of the things that they said is that a specific instruction was given by Ike Perlmutter, who is the you know chairman of Marvel, uh, that the comic should be canceled. 
and that everything Fantastic Four licensing wise was just be canceled. Uh, according to this article, posters were even ripped down from Marvel office Marvel office walls featuring the Fantastic Four, so that he Ike Perlmutter didn't have to see them when he walked through the offices. That's crazy. So you, and Sean, to your point, like that that all that stuff was done in order to I I think to protect the larger uh the larger Marvel uh, and and, and separated as much as it can from. Uh, from Fox, you know, especially since they were, uh, I think, what, 2013, 14 is when Disney acquired them, right? No, Maybe? it was like much that. earlier than that. Was it? Um, was it? Yeah, it was when I was in high school. Oh, I, so, was, thinking, I was thinking Star right, Wars. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, they, they acquired Marvel, I want to say, back in like 2008 or 9. Like, no, 2007 or 2008. Really? Yeah, it, it, it latest it could have been was 2010 because I remember learning about it and I was in high school, like at school. Iron so, Man, like, and Iron I graduated Man in 2010. Came it was out. a Marvel Studios film. Yes, that was that came was a out Disney after subsidiary. All that stuff. Yeah. So like 2007. But did they buy Disney? Did they buy Marvel Studios after they made Iron Man? Because no, they bought it in 2009. There, well, there you the go. Fuck? So it was my all yeah, right. my junior year. So it was right after Iron Man. They had made the first movie, and that was when they picked them up. Okay. So there is another element to this that I want to bring up before we wrap this conversation, which is other other than the big two, uh, Image has gotten in on this. A lot of different properties have gotten in on this hype train. Um, we've seen Valiant try to get the Bloodshot movie made and different things like that. Um, Mark Millar is notorious for saying that he makes comics to make them into movies. That's That's his thing. That's what he does. Uh, and he's had a lot of success with that. Um, so in that regard, again, for me, I asked the question, are comics an afterthought? Is Mark Millar someone who has basically been a proponent of, hey, let's make this as a soft pitch to see how audiences take this. And if it works well in this world, then we'll just make a movie out of it. It's a cheaper way of doing a pilot for a movie. I think it, I mean, I feel like he's an exception because he, and, and he is outspoken about that. Um, uh, Phil, you had that conversation with Yannick um, and your comic con where it's like, it, it, I, I would, and I would agree with him. I think that most creators see that as a little dirty. It's not something that, they would like they're there to support the medium as artists and as creators whereas Millar he's there um sure to to create something in that medium but not that's not his like ultimate goal he and I feel like it's he's really looking for the money in that and the film obviously is where you're gonna get more you know you're gonna make more of a buck on on movies um but to address your point about like other studios, I, I don't think that they're doing it the same way that DC or Marvel might be doing. Uh, again, Marvel and DC are trying to push everything towards connecting characters to their their individual brands, whereas Image and like Valiant for that, like like if they're making what was it the Blood Bloodshot movie, right? It's not it's not Bloodshot as a Valiant property. It's Bloodshot as a Bloodshot property being made into a movie. Same thing with Image. It's not. Like it's like, not yeah, the like walking look no further dead. than the Walking Dead, right? right? Yeah, it's not like Walking Dead in Image Property. It's like no, it's Walking Dead. 
and, and that's even so, more Lucy people is. associated probably with Skybound than they even do with Image. True. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. So it's just yeah, I don't think it's the same there. Um, and I think so. I'm gonna like throw out a controversial opinion. I think um, I don't. I don't think that Mark Millar like I don't think that attitude is correct. Right? Like, I don't think you should be making comics as a pilot to make something else. However, I also think it gets really easy to demonize someone for trying to make money when they're making independent comics. And, like, there's not a lot of money in comics that sell well. You know, like, independent comics have an uphill battle. And I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to merchandise or, like, make uh, an adaption of your comic or sell it as a movie or whatever. I think the way that Mark Millar does it is, like, yeah, that shouldn't be your goal. But I, I think we're also quick to demonize people who do that when there's nothing wrong with trying to make money for something you created. Yeah, but Mark Millar, he, it kind of fits like the narrative with him where he just comes off as like a used car salesman. Like, <laughs> <laughs> to, to me, Mark Millar is a little hacky. Like, and this just kind of further, it comes off sleazy. I'm not, I've never been a big fan of the guy. I mean, I like things that he's done, but I've never been a big fan of the guy. Um, that said, uh, it really does feel like comics are taking a backseat to the films. And I mean, I get it. Movies make a lot more money than comic books do. And it's not even just more money. It's like more people care. Like more people go to see these movies and like the audience for one of these movies is um, like uh, over a hundred times larger than the best selling comic every year. Yeah. Yeah, it's but just a fact. It turns me off from reading things that are, I feel associated with that. I don't really like reading main Marvel books at all. I um I'll read like the like the the good smaller ones like, you know, Alistair Lemire's Moon Knight or uh Tom King's Vision. Um but really like I'm pretty turned off by their business model. Um I don't get that impression from DC, but the books that feel like this is branded content, I'm turned off by that too. You don't see me reading anything other than John Ostander's Suicide Squad from 30 years ago. Um, but I mean, to Sean's point or Sean's question, rather, I mean, it, it certainly feels that way, and I, I don't like it. It's like I don't even think that they're an afterthought. I think comics are just smaller. Like, and that's just the truth. If a comic yeah. is big enough to be adapted, that adaption, if it's good, is going to be more popular than the comic. It's just the truth. There aren't that many people that read comics. That's not, I don't, that's not the problem. The problem is that, like, why, why do the Guardians of the Galaxy have to look exactly yeah. like the ones from the movies? Especially when that run was, like, in my mind... That Guardians of the Galaxy run from 2008 was amongst the be best things that Marvel published the last two decades. But as soon as the movie came out, and the movie I like, it's, the, both those movies are my two, top five favorite cinematic universe movies, right? But the books have been real poor imitations of the movies. Yeah, I don't, I don't support that. I think, I think that's really a problem. I think, like, let the movie be the movie and let the books be the books. Yeah, and, like, to that, it's like, why do... Like... Sean, you said, why do they have? Why do the books have to look like the the movies now? Like, why do the movies have to look like the books? Like, aside from like faithful adaptation, but like you could also just argue that to keep it separate, you know, you don't need them to necessarily look like the comics either. I like what I, I like what yeah, Marco's I, saying. I I don't I I don't advocate that at all. I think let let the creators do whatever they feel like doing. So the X Men and, are good aesthetically. The X Men no. movies. Um, 
like if if it makes sense for the guardians to look how they look in the movies i don't care but why should the the writer and the artist of the guardians book have to acquiesce to a certain look and feel just because a movie was successful that's why i feel like the comics are taking a back i mean they don't they just they're they're done so i think to honestly just boost sales but they don't have yeah, to yeah but that's of course they have to because that's 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 coming from on high. Well, yeah, I think asking your question though in the context of Marvel, yes, like definitely in, in comics as a whole, I I wouldn't agree. Yeah, um, but I think yeah, the, the examples you're giving about Marvel, they're definitely true. Like, I mean, I think that they they want a certain amount of brand synergy. The thing that's interesting to me is like something we've talked a little bit about the video game pals is looking at the way that they're handling, um, or they seem to be handling Marvel games seems to fly in the face of that. Because, like, the Spider-Man game's coming out, and he has a costume that's very distinctly not the one that you've seen on the movies or in the comics. And I feel like it exists to be like, look, this is visually distinct and different. And, like, that's weird to me, because that seems to fly in the face of the greater, like, Marvel brand. But... I think with certain properties, they can get away with that. With Guardians of the Galaxy, this is a very unknown product, uh, product so you've got to make it look exactly like that. Same thing with Suicide Squad in DC. But with Spider-Man... The most recognizable comic book character next to maybe Batman and maybe Superman, like you can get away with that. And they keep the core elements of what makes Spider Man Spider Man visually. Yeah, of course. That's a good point. Yeah. I don't know. Uh maybe maybe I am starting to become one of those older comic book fans who hates the way things are and misses the way things used to be. Uh I hate to think of myself as that person, but I see things happening that are troubling because I feel like it's altering the industry that I grew up loving, especially when you talk about Marvel, me being such a Marvel fanboy. Uh, and uh, it's 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 kind of sad. You know, I I love Black McFury, but I also loved White McFury. And the fact that he was changed literally just to make him look more like the film version, I'm not terribly cool with that. I think the things um, you're complaining about are because of soullessness, though. Well, yeah, because they're just done. It's the same reason why you guys dislike One More Day. They're done just because somebody in a suit said, yeah, this is what needs to happen. Yeah, it's like a bottom line thing. And like that feels cheap, you know, like I think uh, to your point earlier, Phil, about DC not doing that, right? Like Marvel is is finally doing this thing where they're bringing all these characters back. Right. But like for DC to do the or to organically be like, OK, we're going to like kill off new 52 modern superman and bring back the silver age superman is like not a thing that i think we would see in a marvel book per se unless there was some larger brand synergy behind it well uh my hope is that with marvel legacy and with the stuff that dc is doing that the comics can start to really become their own thing again and not have to be you know beholden to whatever's happening in the film universe uh dc and marvel set the tone for what happens in the comic industry in a lot of senses and they need to put comics first uh dc is trying to do that i see their work justice league suicide squad is just like it it, it smacks of right it's an outlier um but marvel has a lot of work to do on this front and i'm hopeful that they're get that they'll get their stuff together it's important to me that they do but for us on the comics pals and every reader of comics we want comics to feel unique and special and to re resemble what it is that got us to read this stuff in the first place and um 
I just hope that we get back there really soon with Marvel. Make Marvel great Marvel again. Get their shit together. <laughs> make Marvel great again. Hell yeah. Make, hashtag make Marvel great again. Hashtag make my milkshake. <laughs> so before we wrap this episode of the Comics Pals, I want to let you guys know where you can find us one more time. Uh, we are on all podcast hosting platforms. iTunes, you can leave us a five-star rating. This was a good one, so I think you should uh, hook it up. Um, and you can let us know what you think about the debate between whether or not comics are an afterthought or Marvel and DC are just looking for a way to make comics more popular. Um, you can also hit us up on social media. We're at the Comics Pals, wherever you buy your social media. Uh, you can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. You can hit us up with a random question with a great debate, a buy or sell, whatever you want to talk to us about, we will respond to that on this show if you write in. Um, and then, of course, YouTube. If you are listening to this on YouTube, be sure to subscribe. Uh, hit that button. It means a lot to us. Give us a like. Share the video with your friends and leave a comment if you want to. Um, be sure to listen to the Video Game Pals. That should be out tomorrow. Uh, Pete and I are on it. It's good stuff. Quality content. Um and stay tuned to all the stuff we're doing on YouTube because there's a lot of good stuff coming out. So with that, let's get into some plugs, Pete. Cool. So again, thank you for joining us here on another episode of The Comics Pals. If you guys want to check out the Video Game Pals, it's going to go up tomorrow on the platform of your choice. If you want to catch some more content from me, you can go read my writing over at CBR.com. Or you can follow me on social media at loud underscore Pete and come talk to me about why Marvel needs to get their crap together. All right, uh, Phil. Well, uh, shut up for a second, Phil. Uh, I'm Kale. As <laughs> always, you can find me at Panels Publishing and on Twitter and Instagram at Toto in Toe. That's T O T O I N D O. Oh, W. <laughs> All right, Kale. Thanks for cutting me off there, but whatever. <laughs> um, you can find me at uh. Twitter and Instagram at Cyborg Bebop. And uh, you can tell me how you believe Pete or Marco or Sean or Kale are, in fact, scrolls. Maybe they are all scrolls. And like always, I'm backed in a corner for my life. <laughs> Bill's a scroll, teach the controversy. <laughs> Marco. Um, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at WoeIsMarco. Twitter has an underscore at the end. Uh, and I did just want to quickly plug um, Image donated uh, $53,885 um, from their Women's History Month variant covers. Uh, they donated that to Planned Parenthood. So congrats to Image on that. Really great stuff. Love the stuff you guys do. Awesome. Uh, and as for me, I'm at Sean Soapbox on Twitter. I really would love to talk more about the fantastic for disappearance and all this kind of stuff so if you have more to say or if you are interested in having a dialogue about the main topic this week please be sure to reach out to me i probably could have talked about this for another half an hour but uh we don't want to do this show all day wait so wait what? why are you so invested in the fantastic four disappearing because i love the them. scroll are associated with the fantastic four but the scroll hate read richard I love Reed so, so Sean's not a squirrel. Wow. Or he's trying to throw the trail off. Hmm. Sean, I think you're a squirrel. Okay. I guess we'll just have to find out next week. On the, the comics, comics. The video game house.
Alright, that's gonna do it for this episode of the Comic Spells. Take care, guys. Bye! Bye! See you next week. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs>